Right on. Well, great. Welcome to module two of a really quick um, injury prevention in adolescent athletes course. And this is targeted especially to you as parents. And then if you coach, that's the added benefit as well. So in module one, we kind of set the scene on talking about, you know, adolescents and kids are not small adults. They're very, very different. And we have to treat them different. We have to train them differently there. They got all kinds of things going on, you know, when, and you've seen your kids suddenly grow super fast. And we, we have to acknowledge this and change the way that we look at their physical activities and overall activities. So today we are going to progress that into a little bit more depth and we'll talk about the most common injuries that we see, especially in the running and uh, endurance athletes population. And the, the second and third module is actually, actually going to be the same topic split into two because it's such a big topic and we probably won't have that much time to cover all of it at once. So welcome to module two. Um, let me get this going. All right. So what are we going to learn today? Um, we're going to talk about the most common injuries that we in the clinic see and how we as parents, maybe as coaches, how can we recognize them and how do we know what to do about it? We're going to talk about what are the means of communication between you as a parent uh, your athlete and the coach and maybe a medical professional. And also we'll talk about how can we possibly reduce risk of these injuries happening. I know we can't prevent them 100%, nobody can because we just don't know. But what we can do is we can decrease the occurrence, we can decrease the risk of these injuries. So let's step back into our maybe college years or maybe something that we've read and let's talk about how the bone grows. So this is probably a femur bone, thigh bone. And when we look at the growth of the bone, we look at three distinct areas. So you see the, the shaft. Um, I don't know if you see, can you see my cursor right here? So that's the shaft. That does not really grow that much the biggest growth happens at the epiphysis right here. This is where the growth blades are. And that's why when you, when you look at your teenage son's or daughter's legs, they suddenly shut out so quickly. And suddenly they're all legs or all arms. That's why, because these, these bones grow really fast. So epiphysis is the growth center of a long bone. But then for us, for physical therapists and medical professionals, what is really important is the apophysis. And you know, when you look at, for example, look at your knee and you have that bump under your kneecap, the tibial tubercle, that's, that's a, a growth plate. That's where the, the, the center of the, the growth is for the attachment of the quadriceps muscle. So we have a whole bunch of those throughout our body. And that really cool thing is that they mature, we'll come back to this slide. When you look at this picture, the, the blue areas are all these bumps on the bones and that's where the bone grows. And these are apophysis. Those are the, the apophysial plates. Um, they mature at very different ages. So um, 
if you if you look at for example let's see these right here if you can see my cursor asis and aiis that's where your hip flexors attach so imagine your your athlete is sprinting really hard and the hip flexor muscle pulls on the bone really hard when if the apophysis is not fused together yet it pulls it apart just a little bit and that is uh, the traction apophysitis injury and we see that throughout the body we see it in the knee we as an Oshkot-Schlatter disease we see it in the in the ankle and foot and ankle and the heel severe disease so we have a bunch of them throughout the body They happen when there is sudden change in the muscle contraction. So acceleration, deceleration, somebody who's not used to doing sprints suddenly is put into, into sprint field and they do just repeats. Uh, that's a risk for these fractures. I skipped over a slide because I got so excited about the apophysial injuries. So when, you, when we look at the types of injuries in physical therapy, we look at the acute injuries, you know, you, you run and you slip and you hear pop in your ankle and the ankle balloons up. So that's an acute injury. There is usually swelling, there is maybe discoloration, um, there's pain and it's hard to weight bear on it. It's hot and swollen. So, you know, it just happened. But then we have these overuse injuries and they kind of creep up and you have kids that have had these and you don't really you can't tell when this thing happened you know like someone like mom my knee hurts hey my shins hurt you know what do i do about it and you're looking back maybe looking in their training log maybe something they did it's hard to know because they creep up they're usually um, a result of overuse or too much training or something, something's going on uh, with that. So, and the most common overuse injuries in adolescent athletes are stress fractures and tendon injuries. So we'll skip over this slide and then let's look at this one. So these are the apophysis, the growth areas on side bumps that we have on the bones <clears throat> they fuse in many different ages and look at this one the asis <clears throat> excuse me fuses at age 25 so <coughs> excuse me talking too fast so we see sprinters with these we have <clears throat> the issue of tuberosity excuse me i'm going to mute myself and i'll be right back i got a cough coming one no i'm good actually got it whoops okay we're good so uh we see the hamstrings that's your sit bone and how many can have hamstring strains that present as a very local pain at the, at the sit bone that are actually that traction injury of the hamstring pulling on the bone really fast. So 
we can differentiate it in physical therapy. Um, physician um, can differentiate it with a radiograph with an X-ray or MRI if needed. And it's really important to kind of think about, you know, the adolescents, adolescent injuries are not just during the adolescent period. Some of these can actually go into the young adulthood. So especially sprinters are dealing, are dealing with this quite a bit. This might be too much, but this is the geekiness of me presenting itself. So the apophysial injuries, we're talking about the traction injuries of the bone are really hard to diagnose because just a plain, plain X-ray does not necessarily show it really well. And on the first picture, if you see this arrow, this is actually one of the hip bones on the pelvis where the hip flexors attach. It's really, really hard to see. If you're not looking for it, it's hard to tell. So what I'm advising you as parents is listen to your athletes, listen to your kid. And if something doesn't feel right, just be persistent. You can't just go to you know, the urgent care and they take an x-ray and say, you're okay. If it doesn't make sense, keep talking to somebody. For example, I had a 15-year-old boy who was a soccer player, and he had this nagging, nagging hip pain. I think they started their season, and they were just playing a lot, long passes, and it was just hurting. Nobody could figure out what's going on an x-ray that was negative and this was just dragging who couldn't play so finally we persuaded his physician to take an MRI and I think you can kind of see it on the bottom picture that's an MRI you see that white area and that signifies, that signifies swellings so he was actually dealing with undiagnosed apophysitis the traction injury of the of the pelvis that nobody could diagnose before. So we took him off soccer, put him on crutches for a little bit, and then gradually returned to activities and he's been playing with our problems as far as I know. So again, when are you gonna be looking for help when something does not feel right? There might or might not be swelling in the hip. It's really hard to see swelling you see swelling on like the, the tibial tubercle on the knee, underneath the, the patella, underneath the kneecap, you see swelling um, at the apophysis. And that is the Oshkosh-Schlatter disease that you might have heard about, about um, very, very common in people who jump a lot or sprint a lot. And if it's not getting better, you know, don't, don't just wave it as, a growing pains. They don't exist. There's always something that that is underlying when a teenager is complaining of pain. So management really depends on symptoms. Um, if the symptoms are mild, we can just treat it conservatively, maybe do some uh, physical therapy intervention, um, change the load, change the running mechanics, or even change shoes. And I'll talk with the coach and see if we can uh, put the pieces of puzzle together for this athlete who maybe really wants to continue training but can't at the higher level. Uh, sometimes when there's, when there's really acute pain, we can use ice. 
But ice is usually not recommended for these chronic, chronic injuries because it doesn't really do much. We advocate active rest rather than, you know, sitting with the feet up and not doing anything. Limiting activity to some degree is usually very beneficial. And then under guidance of either coach or physical therapist, we bring the athlete back to the game gradually. And they usually resolve without problems. They can be really debilitating during adolescent years, but um, as they stop growing, it usually resolves pretty good. Um, let's talk about more injuries that can happen around the hip and pelvis. The one that I have highlighted on the very top, the slipped capillofemoral epiphysis, it's pretty much a growth plate injury where the head of the femur, the thigh bone slips. And that requires pretty um, aggressive management. So the, the athletes or the adolescents don't have problems later on. So again, I can't stress this enough as parents or as coaches possibly, if something doesn't feel right, if the athlete just complains of persistent pain, maybe they're limping, you need to let somebody know and we need to have a look at it. Um, stress fractures are usually due to training errors and stress fractures are a little different than the apophysial injuries that are going through the growth plate. Stress fractures are micro fractures in the bony part of the pelvis. And usually the most prominent factor that makes these fractures uh, more common is training errors. So for example, last time we talked about kids coming from middle school, going to high school, the level of activity is relatively mild in middle school and they jump quite a bit in the high school. So, and I know that from cross-country running, the middle school cross-country running is pretty basic level. With high school, it's like 10 levels higher than that. So you see kids that don't run that much and they might not run as much during summer, jumping the really high level of running in the fall and they start complaining about um, pains coming um, during training, sometimes during rest. So we always, always check for stress fractures. And femoral neck stress fractures, that's how you, where your hip bone connects to your, to your pelvis. The femoral neck is that the elongated part. Those are pretty dangerous because they can progress the, the real fractures pretty quickly. And usually what you see is the, the kid starts to limp a little bit. They're like, mom, my hip hurts. And I don't know what's going on. Um, that's how they present. So we need to know about that. Uh, groin pain injuries, the pubic ramus is also a place for stress fractures, usually in athletes that jump or kick. For example, your softball, soccer players, runners, not as much with the pubic ramus. Sacral stress fractures, on the other hand, are pretty common in female adolescent runners. And they complain like, my back hurts, kind of achy. You know, when I, when I jump, it hurts. Um, it kind of moves around a little bit. It's not, they can't point at this one location because it can be pretty deep in there. So if your athlete's low back pain doesn't go away and 
you see that they're like trying to figure out what's going on and they can't train, let us know because we can screen for that. Now the good news. When, when you look at the hip joint, right, it's very congruent joint. It's a deep ball and socket. And then labrum is the cartilage that makes the socket a little bit deeper. We don't see many of those injuries in adolescent runners, which is great. We see them more in adults, in uh, cutting sports, in like soccer players and such hockey players, twisting sports. All right, we see quite a bit of soft tissue injuries and many times you, you have your athletes complain, oh, my hip flexors hurt, they're so tight, or my, my hamstrings are strained, my, my quads are just killing me. Those are very, very common um, soft tissue injuries, and they're related to maybe overuse of the muscle. And they might present of like late onset muscle soreness, maybe persist a little bit longer. I would not worry about those too much, but we still have to differentiate, but we're dealing with something that's a little bit more serious and we're just dealing with the muscle injuries. They are usually because the muscle group is not used to the load that was put through. So under training or when we start running heels or start sprinting first thing in the season. So that's when we see them. And muscular imbalance. Sometimes we see like length discrepancy. But all these issues can be dealt with very conservatively in physical therapy, just a couple of visits. Are you guys doing okay? Give me a thumbs up. Fantastic. Um, I want to bring the knee up in the attention. The knee injuries are so, so, so common, especially in girls. Girls are about four to six times more prone to knee injuries. And we'll talk about it in part two in two weeks because that requires the whole section all by itself. Um, pretty much if you, if you think about it, you know, the knee is just a joint between two sticks, between the thigh bone and the shin bone. So the knee doesn't really have much control within the knee, whatever its neighbors are doing. That's how they control what the knee joint is doing. So we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about knee injuries and knee management next time. And it's usually due to some kind of neuromuscular imbalance. All right, let's go back into the knee and foot and ankle. So remember we talked about the growth plates, the apophysis that are on the side of bones, if you look at the top picture, the black one, you can see epiphyseal plate. That's, those are the major growth centers in the bone. But then look at the bottom picture on the left, see the blue shaded area, and you probably have seen somebody who had jumper's knee or Oshkosh-Schlatter or your kiddos had that. So this is what it is. It's a growth plate that kind of starts to separate and pull away from the bone. You can Think about it as a, a duct tape stuck on a wall, right? That is not stuck very tight. So you can peel it off. And the harder you pull on the duct tape, the more you can peel it off. Well, the, the stronger the quad muscles, right? The harder they are pulling on that, the tubercle, the piece of bone, because it's not fused with the tibia quite yet. 
So that's when we see the swelling and kind of a bumpy, bony part uh, underneath the kneecap. It's very, very common in, in jumping athletes and especially boys because they, they jump so much. And then we have several of those on the foot, in the foot. Uh, the biggest one is on the heel bone, on the calcaneus. And the fancy name for that is uh, severus disease. And pretty much what it is, it's again the traction injury of the apophysial plate and the heel bone. And how do we treat these? Very conservatively. We limit the athletes, how much jumping, running they do. Maybe use some kind of taping or heel lift. Um, aids to limit the symptoms, but mostly it's balancing the muscles and strengthening and then gradually returning to activities. And these usually resolve without problems. Older athletes might deal more with the tendon injuries. So if we have somebody whose the apophysial plates are fused, probably closer to 20, 18, 20 years old, that's when they usually fuse, you start to see a little bit more ligamentous injuries like a patella tendon injuries or Achilles tendon injuries. And they're treated a little differently. All right, so let's talk about stress fractures. You heard me talking about this over and over and over again because we see so many of these. And they can be some of the most serious injuries in adolescent athletes, especially in girls. Um, they're very common in running sports. Swelling might not be present. They can just complain of maybe shin pain or maybe low back pain or hip pain. It's kind of diffuse. It doesn't really follow any regimen. So um, it's really, really important to talk to somebody about it. Talk to your coach, talk to the physical therapist, or talk to the physician, um, especially if they're sports-minded. And the way we look at, let's talk about shin splints, for example. So shin tibia, right, it has a lot of muscle attachments to it. And the muscles that connect to tibia are really strong. The bone itself is enveloped in a um, very richly innervated envelope called periosteum. So there's a lot of blood flow, lots of nerves. It's, it's an envelope for the bone. So the muscles connect to that. When you pull on the muscle really hard, it pulls on the bone. It pulls on that periosteum and sometimes starts to separate it a little bit. And they can become pretty painful. And sometimes you see swelling in that area. And what you see your athlete complaining is, oh, it hurts when I slap my foot down. It hurts when I walk barefoot in the house. It hurts when I run. It doesn't get better when I run more. And these clues are kind of clues that we're listening to to see what we need to do about this. Because if shin splints are undiagnosed, this stress, um, action on the periosteum can progress into the stress reaction of the actual bone, which can progress to a stress fracture. And in stress fracture, you can initially start seeing little trabecular fractures in the bone that weakens the bone. And you know, on the, on the other end, it can progress to full-on fracture, which requires 
sometimes surgical fixation, sometimes in the boot for six to eight weeks on crutches. So we don't want to go there. That's why I talk about it so much so we can catch it in the early, early phases and address it and get the athletes back into running without problems. So, and you as parents can help me help your kids a lot with this. Now, some of the, uh, the factors that can make these more prominent uh, that increase risk of stress fractures is being a female, being a thin female, um, under eating. And it doesn't mean that you're on any kind of diet. It might mean that the energy from food that you're bringing in is less than the energy that you're expanding as an athlete. Now, think about you as parents, think about your kids at some, you know, sporting um, during maybe high school cross country running, right? So during summer, we eat well, we spend some time outside, we train some, and then the season starts. When we eat the same, we're still good, we're sleeping the same, but level of activity goes way up, right? If you don't feel that spike in activity, that you're putting yourself at risk. And then add your schoolwork, add your extracurricular activities. Uh, what goes? Usually sleep goes, right? So all this stress, we really have to make sure that our athletes are taken care of. So rest, good fuel, don't undereat. It's better to overeat a little bit um, during the, the activity spike. And then, you know, we look at what are the training conditions they're into? Are they doing too much too soon? Are they uh, changing too many things at once? And something that we see is we see spike in activity during cross-country running, right, for training, and they add spikes, running in spikes, which are minimal. They don't have any kind of cushion. They don't have any safety net. So you have two big things that are changing. And that's when we see a lot of injuries happen. So something like this is really important to look at and maybe talk to your coach or even a precondition your athlete before the cross-country running season. What I really like to see is athletes continuing with some kind of physical activity that is running related plus cross training during summer before the high school season starts. So there's not a, such a big spike of activity when they actually start running. You guys good? So going back into the, the energy coming in and going out, um, you'll hear me talking about the relative energy deficiency syndrome which incorporates the, the female athlete triad, the, the menstruation, the food intake, the bony health. So it's all together um, when, when we need to take care of the female athlete. Very, very, very important. All right, so this is actually really cool picture that you might see of um, tibia, shin bone. And these are plain x-rays on the right. Um, MRIs are on the left. So this was a soccer player that was complaining of kind of diffuse shin pain and was diagnosed with shin splints. Uh, the shin splints did not go away. The pain persisted and I saw her 
and um, it just didn't make sense. She had a big spike of playing. I think she was playing in her high school team and then some club team as well. So we saw a lot of soccer playing in a short period of time. So we sent her for an MRI. And you see this white thing on the shin bone that's swelling on the MRI. You see a little bit of bony, bony reaction on the side here. Um, this, I believe, is that periosteum we talked about, the covering of the bone is being pulled away by the muscle force. And then she went in for x-ray five weeks out, five weeks after she started seeing symptoms, went for x-rays. And what you see is the callus of the bone healing. So your body makes everything work to make that heal. And this is what we saw. We didn't see it. Usually you don't see this on the x-rays that are taken right on the onset of the pain. MRIs, like the picture on the left, is usually um, the most uh, diagnostic test or CT scan. So if, again, if something doesn't make sense, if your athlete is not getting better, if you feel that you're just kind of shunted away, oh, these are just growing pains, or just shin splints, or take, you know, take six weeks of rest and not do anything and then go back playing soccer. If it doesn't make sense, if you don't feel satisfied with what information you're getting, seek more help because there is a lot more than just that. All right. So as we talked about, MRIs or CT scan are pretty diagnostic when it comes to stress fractures. And trust your instinct. All right. Now, what do we do? If somebody's diagnosed with potential stress fracture or diagnosed with a stress fracture, we don't let them run on it. We gotta take them off of running. So um, even though it seems to be very aggressive, Sometimes we put people in the boot and on the crutches, if, even if it's, well, especially if it's a high risk stress fracture, we take them away from their sports for a little bit and then gradually increase that. With some people that the, low, the stress fractures might not be as high risk, like the, the tibialis posterior, the posterior tibia stress fractures is in lower risk category. We allow them to train, but we closely monitor that. So we're not stacking workouts, we're not spiking the workouts. We really closely monitor how they feel the next day. And we like to see the pain resolving the next day so we can progress. And you hear me talk about the overall load. We talked about high school kids. They have so much stuff going on. They have practice, they have school, they want to socialize with friends. They have extra activities. Uh, they need to sleep. They have homework for hours and hours at a time. So think about how much life load you're putting on your teenager. Sometimes we have to take something away, especially if they're dealing with overuse injury. And PTs usually can help you with that. Other risk, risk factors for stress fractures are previous injury. So if your athlete had a stress fracture, that potentially they add more of these. So 
looking at their training log and have them own their training log. It's really, really important. It should be how much they're training, how they feel, and whether they have pain. Very simple. Tra training volume. age in years. So if you if you look at your pre if you have your 10 year old, they should be training about 10 year old. They might be able to tolerate a lot more, but it has to be gradually increased. Usually we see inadequate recovery and that's when we talked about how much do you sleep, how much do you eat? Do you feel your workout? Do you eat for recovery? So that's important. And last time we talked about, you know, one type of activity, not necessarily one sport, but one type of activity. For example, there's a big difference between when the cross-country running season starts, right? You see them running, running hard five days a week. That's one type of activity. Versus if we have, for example, um, cross-country skiing, the programs in Anchorage are year-round programs, so you see kids running, they roller ski, they play soccer, they strength train. So that's, that's one sport, but many different activities, and that is very important. Then you're going to be watching for growth spurt, and we touched on it last time as well. When your kid goes, grows really fast, I tend to not recommend adding another activity or adding it really carefully and monitoring that because that's when we see uh, stress fractures and that's when we see overuse injuries happen the most. Body mass index, too high or too low, are both very high risk for overuse injuries. With girls, late onset of menstruation, if the girl is over 16 years old and still hasn't had a period, somebody needs to assess that because that's a risk for stress fractures. That tells me that there is energy imbalance. Maybe the food that's coming in does not equal energy expenditure of, coming, of the energy coming out. So there, there is definitely imbalance. And the body usually takes energy from bone. And that's when we see stress fractures happen. So again, are you, are you feeling your athlete enough? The fridge should be always empty. Well, by them eating it, not because it's empty. We have a 15-year-old at home and the fridge is always empty, no matter how much we shop, shop every day, pretty much. Many times I get a question. So what is okay? How much pain is okay to train with? And that's a difficult question because it really depends on the diagnosis, what's going on. And usually when we look at the pain, we look at how does it feel during the training and then how does it feel afterwards and how does it feel the next day? So for example, if you have any kind of muscle or tendon injury, you start running, it feels a little wonky, and it gets better as you warm up. And then after training, it might feel a little, little wonky, a little painful, and then kind of hurts the next morning. So 
we know that is a tendon injury. I might be okay with it. I might slow down the activity, might do a little bit of a supplemental exercise program with this to bring that level, pain level down, but I'm generally okay with it. However, if we're dealing with a bone reaction, they might not have pain at the beginning of run, but it kind of creeps up and doesn't go away. And it hurts at night and it hurts the next, mor next morning. We need to know about it. They might start limping because it hurts. We really need to know about it. All right, I touched on all the points. How do we prevent these? So last time we had a discussion on what is important in the pre-adolescent athletes and what is important in the adolescent athletes. In pre-adolescents, the growth is really strong and the kids are acquiring a lot of different skills and the bones are getting stronger. So we recommend activities that put your athlete under many different conditions in kind of the odd stress to the bone, cutting sports, jumping sports, um, soccer, basketball, uh, martial arts, some running, some skiing, so many different areas. We don't recommend racing in pre-adolescent because it really gives them the the, the focus just on one activity. When you switch into adolescence, then we tend to develop into the one sport that we really, we really liked and we want to be good at. Then we start thinking about what can we do to add uh, for cross training. And for runners, strength training is the best thing out there because you have to keep up with the muscle strength to be able to use it when you run. Um, swimming, cycling, they're all kind of one directional activities. They don't provide too much load. They don't provide too much load on the bone, on the tendon and the ligaments. They're okay as a relatively low risk activity, but that's not cross training. We have to strength train as adolescent runners. We just have to. And then feed your athlete enough. As I said, when you go shopping, you should fill up the fridge. The next day it should be partly empty. So you know that your, your kids are eating enough. And then again, trust your instinct. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not 100% right and something needs to happen. Okay, so that was part one of the, the common injuries that we saw in adolescent athletes. And we talked about mostly bone stress injuries and growth plate injuries. And next time we'll talk about knee injuries and more soft tissue injuries of the foot, foot and ankle and knee and maybe hip if we have time. So I'm gonna open it up for questions. We have plenty of time.